Access Limited. Get future ready today. Apply at FBC. Visit falsebaycollege.co.za for more information. False Bay Teammate College. My dream, my college. The best way to get you going. Go, go, go. This, this is VOC Breakfast with Gulam Fakir and Samira Sheikhessa. Only on the Voice of the Cape. So 12 minutes after 8 a.m. is where we're at this morning. We're into the final hour of the show. And like we've been saying uh, during the course of the show, we are going to be having a discussion now around ivermectin. And, you know, the COVID-19 vaccines have basically taken center stage in the race to end the pandemic. However, vaccine rollout, as we've been told, it's going to take some time um, before it covers the entire global population. In the meantime, you know, scientists are looking um, to develop other targeted therapies for for um, the pandemic. Now, one drug that has gained particular interest within the last couple of months is ivermectin, um, a parasiticide that is also used to treat a range of tropical diseases in humans, not commonly seen in South Africa. Now, the drug is registered for use in animals in South Africa, but is currently not registered for treatment of COVID-19 in humans. Now, in recent weeks, we've seen various groups um, having thrown their weight behind a call for the anti-parasitic drug um, used to combat the transmission of COVID-19 in some quarters internationally. Um, But there's been a call for it to be studied and considered for human consumption here in South Africa. But of course, to explain everything to us this morning, online we do have um, Dr. Mark Blockman that's going to be speaking to us. He is a professor in the Department of Internal Medicine, Division of Clinical um, Pharmacology at the University of Cape Town, as well as Khritiskir Hospital. Doc, good morning and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. Good morning and to your listeners and thank you for inviting me. Only a pleasure. Now, of course, you know, there has been a lot of talk around ivermectin um, online via the media. Um, But in terms of the history of ivermectin, perhaps, you know, firstly starting off with that for us. Yeah, so ivermectin has been around for many, many years. It's not a new uh, agent. Um, we have good understanding of its use um, in uh, some human conditions. So, for example, scabies and head lice uh, and sometimes river blindness. And certainly there's uh, registered use in this country within the agricultural uh, environment. Um, unfortunately, it's not registered in this country. So um, when people require it for resistant scabies, for example, it needs to get a approval from SAPRA to be imported for those for those uh, for those patients, and um, and so as uh, the pandemic has uh, gone on, people have been looking to repurpose uh, certain medicines, and so this is all about looking at medicines that we know something about, and do they have any biological plausibility where they may have an effect uh, on um, on COVID on COVID nineteen SARS CoV two, and this is one of the medicines that they're looking at. Now, Doc, we know you're part of a committee that put together research reports um, late last year. In terms of this um, report around or the research around ivermectin, what were some of your key findings? So, so just just to say that I think that we all um, are, are always very interested and, and have our ears to the ground around any uh, medicine that may have data or have published data that... Uh, could change the lives of our patients. And as you know, we're in our second surge 
uh, massive amounts of people in our hospitals. And uh, we look very hard as it is an opportunity to use the medicine in a particular group. Um, unfortunately, at this moment in time, despite the fact some biological plausibility, uh, lots of media attention and lots of people talking about ivermectin, the studies themselves have not... Um, given us the data that we require to make a good risk-benefit decision in, uh, in our population to use for COVID-19. Now, if we were to look at a dark morning, um, if we were to look at it, many have come forward, I mean, in social media, people inboxing us and so forth, you know, coming forward, you know, stating that ivermectin has worked. What do we know about human trials? So uh, we know this. So we. Um, so if I just take one step back, so there's lots of human uh, human trials which are ongoing at this moment in time, and right. some that may have, have occurred. Uh, but just because a trial has actually happened in a patient population, and there may be some positive report, it doesn't mean to say that the actual the agent actually works well and will be generalizable and work well within um, uh, within our population. And so what we need to do is to look at the best data uh, in uh, the the correct population, the correct dose given um, for the right condition, and then looking at hard end points where there's uh, some sort of randomization to um, this agent plus, for example, standard of care, and uh, nobody knows who's getting what. And then there's an appropriate adjudication and peer-reviewed. In that, when you, when you get that kind of data, it's, it's far easier to assess and to make recommendations rather than small studies, observational studies, where we are not sure about the biasness of uh, the clinical college. And I'm not saying that people are biased on purpose. Yeah. It's the study which is, which is biased. And uh, you would agree that the most important um, aspect is to make sure that when we provide a medication to somebody that we know uh, a significant amount about, one, its benefit, and certainly about its safety, and that we are convinced it's going to do something in that, uh, in that, in that person. Doc, you know, are there any active trials that are happening right here in South Africa at this moment in time with regards to ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19? To my knowledge, I do not know of any uh, clinical study that is occurring that has an, an appropriate approval through the regulator, through ethics committees, where ivermectin is given in a randomized control fashion uh, uh, to uh, our patient population. Why do you think this is not happening? I'm just thinking for argument's sake. I mean, you know, we have listeners. Um, you, I'm sure, have seen via social media people saying that they have treated themselves with it. And we understand here in South Africa that SAPRA um, has sort of made it illegal for human use, usage, should we say, and treatment of COVID-19. But, you know, why, for instance, would the Department of Health not spearhead something mm. like this if there have been accounts where people are saying, hey, you know what, we're seeing something working here? Yeah, so I think I see, so I think it's very important, but let's not look at the Department of Health. Um, we should look at our investigators, the clinicians on the coalface, who are working day and night looking after these very severely uh, sick patients. And that, to me, is a, a very important question. Why have they not? 
And so if you think about it, we are far into the pandemic where we are doing clinical trials on repurposed agents. And why have our clinician uh, researchers not come to um, either the uh, SARPRO or come to the ethics committee and say, you know what, we think ivermectin is a good idea. We would like to trial that in our population in an appropriate manner to try and get the answer. That silence for me is very important when uh, these uh, colleagues are at the coalface. And that makes me wonder around, um, at this moment, the true uh, efficacy data that's out there about, uh, about this. And are people really confident, people who are looking after our patients, confident that this agent has a place? Now, Doc, you did you did mention um, ethics committee, and I just want to know, in terms of you know those that are saying that they have treated themselves or have self-medicated with ivermectin to treat COVID nineteen, you know, are there any ethical implications when it comes to this? In terms of you know, we've seen this huge movement of people now saying, um, oh, you know what, what is the government going on about? We're going to start treating ourselves with ivermectin. That sort of narrative, is it quite dangerous? Yeah, so that's it. So it's, it's, it's a major problem because we, we must remember that ivermectin is not marketed in this country at all for human use. And so the only way that you'd be able to bring ivermectin into this country for human use is to go through a robust process, a regulatory process through SAPRA, who will then provide you with a Section 21 approval to be able to import it uh, via an appropriate pharmacy and then give that to a patient. So anybody is using ivermectin for human use in this country, you have to ask where is it coming from, how has it got into the country, because it's certainly not marketed yet, it would have to go through SAPRA, and are they using the veterinary product in humans? And, that's, and that has questionable uh, ethics around that. And that would seem to be problematic. Doc, could we look at the safety aspect of it? Because, I mean, we have seen reports of um, uh, some people using it and they turned out to be okay. You know, so, so what are the safety aspects? Because it sounds like that's a concern as well. Uh, so, the, so, so, so what you see, this is the, this is the problem with a, a trial of one and, and, uh, and, um, and, and, and where we are, where we, where we have biased, biased data. And, um, and we don't have controlled data. And so you're right. Uh, where they've got it from, I'm not 100% sure. But you have, in, in all situations where people say, I took this and it worked extremely well for me. And then somebody says, I took it and it didn't, it didn't work for me. The only way for us to really know if it works appropriately is to have proper, rigorously uh, performed randomized control studies where you can control for the biasness and, and, and people's own prejudices and, and really see if the agent works or doesn't work. And so there's a couple of issues. We can talk about the side effects that we know in the population it's been registered for. So I can tell you that there are people who develop skin rashes, they get abdominal uh, diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. Some patients get into trouble. They get neurological fallout, um, where they get central nervous system dysfunction, uh, they rec- their blood pressures go down, they require hospitalization for liver injury. And, and often what happens is that they have a white cell count that goes down, their bone marrow gets affected. Now you may, so, so these are all side effects which we know. What we don't know is that are these the same side effects that may occur in a patient being treated for COVID-19? 
If we don't know that, and in fact it's worse, that more people drop their blood pressure, that more people uh, hurt their white cell count, the defensive mechanism of the body, and more people develop severe nausea and vomiting or central nervous system dysfunction. If we don't know that because we're not getting the rigorous studies that we require, that becomes a very big problem in terms of risk benefit. And when we are subjecting our population to harm and no benefit, and that's why I'm asking for uh, that we that we that we look at this in in at, in the best possible manner, which is in a mm. clinical study, high enough uh, significant amounts of people with a good question, a good answer, correct dose, and, and then we find out exactly if this thing works or not. We've been burnt before. Hydroxychloroquine, if you remember, uh, was uh, purported to be very useful, prophylactic as well as for treatment. Turns out, as you would know, as the as the data got uh, more uh, to fruition, uh, we found that in fact hydroxychloroquine not only didn't did it not work, but in fact it, it was dangerous in a group of patients, and so we don't want to. Um, have that same outcome for a repurposed agent. I think we need to be better than that. We've learned that. We've learned our lesson on some of the other agents. Now, Doc, what do you make of the comments, you know, by those that are anti-vax, for instance, but at the same time, you know, those that are lobbying for uh, the use of ivermectin? So it's interesting. So um, that uh, that people would. Um, disagree with vaccines that have gone through randomized rigorous clinical mm-hmm. studies which are in the public domain and but not provi- uh, not give the same um, thought processes and confidence to uh, look asking for the same studies uh, for ivermectin i don't think you can have it both ways when you're giving medicines to people the rigor of the randomized control studies the rigor of the publication should be the same, and then we can make those decisions. So it is a bit confusing that they would um, be against the vaccines, but against ivermectin, I apologize, for ivermectin, which has less uh, published peer-reviewed data. Now, it's also understandable that at this point in time, we're finding ourselves, you know, within a pandemic. Um, we're talking about a vaccine that hasn't reached South Africa yet. You know, we've seen so many people dying. We've seen so many others that are now being hospitalized for COVID-19. And I think it's, 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 it's understandable that people would be desperate at this point in time, desperate for a cure, desperate to get better, so to speak. So in terms of, you know, the argument access to um, ivermectin, for instance, versus the right to health, you know, does, does that have any grounds here in South Africa? And when we were speaking about, you know, no clinicians have come forward to say, hey, you know what, let's actually do some sort of concise trial around this. Mm. Um, you know, is it not something worth going forward and lobbying for? So just to understand your question, so you're suggesting that um, that because there's, the vaccine is taking it a while and that, and, and we mm-hmm. and we are, um, uh, as you suggested, we have a, we have a pandemic that uh, people should be able to uh, ask for whatever they want because um, these are different times. So I'm saying I, I don't agree with that. So look, the right we do have the right to health, but you also have the if you have a right to health, somebody has the duty of that right. And one of our duties as clinicians 
is to protect people. And the way you protect people is to, is, is to, is to, is to provide the best information you can so the person can make up their mind and then make that choice. Now, unfortunately, the data for ivermectin is poor at this moment in time. And so if you are practicing good clinical medicine, you don't have that data at your fingertip to be able to provide that information to a patient. You can then say yes or no. And we must be careful mm. that uh, from the anxiety point of view, that we uh, behave differently as clinicians, that we behave in a, in a very desperate manner and put people at risk. I think it's better for us to um, pull, up, pull our resources, put our heads down, what we're trying to do, look at what the data is, quickly, rapidly, transparently, and then come up with good decisions to, uh, to help support uh, clinical colleagues rather than a desperate uh, use of a medicine which may prove to be unsafe. And certainly, uh, let's, let's give you an example. Let's say that uh, we decide to use it and we don't know much about it. And it, in fact, as you know, we give high-flow nasal oxygen. We give patients a drug called dexamethasone or, or a similar-like steroid, which we know does work. Let's say that ivermectin actually interrupts the efficacy of dexamethasone. Right. That would be a terrible thing in our population. We need to know that. We need to know it's safe to give ivermectin with dexamethasone in sick patients. If we don't know that, then we are only going to be causing harm rather than benefit for our population. Don't I'm we... asking everybody to be, maybe, maybe take one step back a little bit mm. and let's look at what the data really is. Sure. Now, we have about 60 seconds to go, and I want to know, in terms of those that you have mentioned, Sapra has stated as well that ivermectin for human consumption is not allowed in South Africa. It's illegal. For those that are taking ivermectin, you said, you know, we need to know where they're sourcing it from, etc. You know, so what are the legalities around that? If someone is going out on social media, posting it up on their status, saying, you know what, guys, if we want to treat COVID-19, um, I've tried ivermectin, it's worked for me, you should do it too. Uh, what are the legalities around that? Is it a crime? I'm not. So um, you're pushing me a little bit in terms of territory that I may not know from a forensic point of view. But I'm not sure if it's a crime to say that they used ivermectin and uh, they think it's a good idea. There's certainly uh, a problem with how they got ivermectin. One, if they are using ivermectin from a veterinarian source in a human or they've brought ivermectin themselves illegally into the country because the drug isn't registered yet. And the only way to get ivermectin into this country for human use is via SARPRA approval. And if you're not doing that, then you are breaking the law. And if you're giving it to patients and you're a healthcare professional, that's very problematic, the use of an off-label agent not coming through SARPRA that you're providing to a, to a patient. That's very, very problematic. And people should right. be careful not to do that. Mm. Well, Professor Mark Blockman, we thank you for your time this morning and your insights on the matter of ivermectin. Professor in the Department of Internal Medicine, Division of Clinical Pharmacology at the University of Cape Town, as well as Critiskia Hospital. Professor Mark Blockman speaking to us there in terms of our ivermectin discussion.